This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. This afternoon, I introduced Bill C-11, the Online Streaming Act. This is the first of a few pieces of legislation that are part of my mandate as Minister of Canadian Heritage, and these are online streaming, online news, and online safety. All the three work together to make the Internet a fairer, more inclusive, safer, and more competitive place for Canadians. The government's internet regulation plans were back on the agenda this past week as a What We Heard report was released on online harms and Bill C-11, the sequel to last year's controversial Bill C-10, was introduced by Canadian Heritage Minister Pablo Rodriguez. I will focus on the online harms issue in an upcoming podcast, but I think the quick takeaway is that the plans unveiled in a consultation by then-Heritage Minister Stephen Guibault last summer garnered near-universal criticism, including concerns related to freedom of expression, privacy rights, the impact of the proposal on certain marginalized groups, and compliance with the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. This latest report provides a play-by-play of these concerns, and it leaves little doubt that a major reset of the policy is required. Minister Rodriguez says he plans to establish a new expert panel with recommendations for legislative reform to follow. That suggests that the online harms legislation in Canada is now many months away as a panel and then government work to balance the widely held desire to address online harms with the need to safeguard freedom of expression, privacy, and fundamental rights and freedoms is going to take some time. Now, Bill C-11, on the other hand, is here now. I expect to devote several podcasts to the bill in the coming months. But for this week, rather than inviting a guest to discuss a bill that many people are still assessing, I thought I'd walk through the bill's provisions, particularly those involving user-generated content, and then highlight several ongoing concerns with that bill. Now, the background to Bill C-11, and by extension, its predecessor, Bill C-10, I think are pretty well known. Then Bill C-10 was introduced back in 2020 by then-Heritage Minister Guy Beau, and the professed goal of the legislation was to bring the large streaming giants, the Netflix and Disney's and Amazon Primes of the world, into the Canadian broadcasting system. Now, initially, the bill didn't attract all that much attention, and it certainly didn't attract much controversy. There were critics, and and I was one of them. But I think many saw this as a natural evolution of broadcasting law, were comfortable with the notion that companies like Netflix and on the music side, companies like Spotify would be brought into the legislation. And I think those that paid attention were heartened by the fact that the government has sought to exclude user-generated content from the scope of the legislation. There were two exclusions or exceptions. One, an exception that excluded users from being treated like broadcasters so that individuals wouldn't be called up before the CRTC much the way that a conventional licensed broadcaster would be. That was section 2.1. And the other exception, section 4.1, excluded regulation of the content of of those users, the proverbial treating that content as a program subject to potential regulation by the CRTC. 
Now, the bill was proceeding last year fairly quickly until the government made a decision in the spring to remove one of those exceptions, Section 4.1, so that suddenly now, while individuals would not be regulated as broadcasters themselves, their content would face the potential regulation as a program by the CRTC. Those that follow the issue will recall that that sparked enormous amount of criticism, public debate on the issue, additional hearings. Ultimately, the bill passed in the House of Commons as the government pushed it through by cutting short debate at committee and in the House. But when it reached the Senate, it was already nearly the summer, and senators made it clear that they were not going to simply rubber stamp the legislation that had caused these sources of concern, expressing their own fears that it hadn't undergone an appropriate level of due diligence and hearings and making it clear that they themselves would take it upon themselves to do so. Now, Bill C-10 died when there was an election call over the summer, but as part of their election platform, the Liberals indicated that not only would they bring the bill back, but that they would do so in the first 100 days. And so it was readily apparent once the Liberals were reelected that this bill was coming back. The only real question was whether or not there would be significant changes from Bill C-10. There was a new minister with Guibault moving over to the environment. It was now up to Pablo Rodriguez to, to make the call on that issue. The fact that we saw a new bill now named Bill C-11 as quickly as we did uh, doesn't come really as a surprise whatsoever. Now, if that's the background of the bill, let's talk a little bit about C-11 and at least initially how it was framed by the minister when it was introduced earlier this week. The minister and his department are insisting that Bill C-11 addresses the concerns that were raised in Bill C-10, that Canadians can be assured that regulating user-generated content is off the table. Unfortunately, I think if you do a fair reading of the bill, that simply isn't the case. The new bill is now called the Online Streaming Act, and it restores the one exception, Section 4.1, but it adds a new one in the process, which I think leaves the door open for CRTC regulation. Indeed, for all the talk that user-generated content is out, the truth is that everything from podcasts, even like this one, to TikTok videos fit neatly into the new exception or exception to the exception that we find in the bill, which gives the CRTC the power to regulate such content as a program. I'm going to get into some of those broader concerns, particularly around treating everything like a program. But first, let's talk a little bit specifically about what is found in Bill C-11. Now, to be fair, the government has tried to assuage some of the concerns that existed with the prior Bill C-10. For example, the CRTC won't be regulating specific algorithms as part of its discoverability orders, and the bill emphasizes the importance of freedom of expression. However, by leaving much of the original regulatory framework in place and removing some of the earlier safeguards, I believe it's undeniable that the CRTC has been granted enormous regulatory power over internet services really around the world given that the bill's jurisdictional scope features few boundaries. Now let's talk specifically about regulating user-generated content. Now many listeners may recall that Bill C-10, as I mentioned, originally excluded regulating individual users as broadcasters, that was that section 2.1, and their content as programs in section 4.1, that 4.1 
exception was removed last April, which, as I've mentioned, sparked so much of the controversy. Now, how does C11 address the issue? As a start, the Section 4.1 exception for treating user content as programs subject to potential regulation has been restored. When combined with the return of the Section 2.1, exempting users from being treated as broadcasters, the government is now claiming, and I'll quote, that it listened especially to concerns around social media, and they say, we fixed it. But I think if you dig a little deeper, turns out the bill isn't quite as advertised. Section 4.1 was indeed restored, but added to the bill was a Section 4.1 sub 2, which creates an exception to the exception. Now, that exception to the exception, in effect, a rule that does allow for the regulation of content uploaded to a social media service, says that the act applies to programs as prescribed by regulations that may be created by the CRTC. In other words, it's now within the purview of the CRTC to regulate this kind of content as a program under the act. In fact, the bill provides real specifics, what the government's calling a sandbox, for how to do that, if you're the CRTC, by establishing new regulations. Now, some of that guidance is found in a new section 4.2, which gives the CRTC, as I say, the instructions to create those new regulations. Now, I think the result is a bit of a legislative pretzel, where the government twists itself around trying to regulate certain kinds of content and exclude others. In particular, this section says that the CRTC can create regulations to treat content uploaded to social media services as programs by considering three factors. Those three factors are whether the program that's uploaded directly or indirectly generates revenue. The program's been broadcast by a broadcast undertaking that is either licensed or registered with the CRTC and the program has been assigned a unique identifier under an international standard system. The bill doesn't tell the CRTC how to weigh these factors. It doesn't say whether or not all have to be there, one can be there, how exactly to take these instructions on board and decide what gets regulated. I should note that there is a further exclusion in the bill for content in which neither the user nor the copyright owner receives revenue, as well as for visual images only. So as a start, let's recognize non-commercial user-generated content falls outside of this definition now, as does visual images only. So what's in? Well, as I mentioned, there are these three factors that the CRTC would consider. And when you start with the perspective first, that the program generates either directly or indirectly revenue, that really does capture a really broad range of content. We're not just talking about content that's that's clearly commercial in nature. We're talking about content that may appear to be non-commercial, but does provide indirect revenue. That could be sponsorship. That could be other commercial opportunities that arise on the basis of that non-commercial activity. Programs that are broadcast by broadcast undertakings that are either licensed or registered really encompasses just about everybody because now under this bill, online undertakings will be registered and so they'd be included here. In other words, if you've got some content that appears on a, in a multi-platform environment, it's in Spotify, but it's also in YouTube, it's on a podcast service, it's going to be captured by this as well. And the unique identifier, which 
is really has music in mind could of course be extended far more broadly as we see unique identifiers under various standard systems apply in a really broad range of places. And so I think the impact here is potentially really significant. The government's quite clearly interested specifically in one use case, namely YouTube music or music that appears on YouTube. And in fact, the minister provided a specific example of his desire to treat a song that airs or plays on Spotify in the same fashion as that song appearing on a service like YouTube. But at the same time, the reality is by creating such a broad definition within those regulations and providing the CRTC with a, a great deal of flexibility in terms of how it might interpret those various standards, I think it's pretty clear cut that it can be applied in a much broader fashion. For example, TikTok videos are uploaded to a service and may generate indirect revenue. The content is often available on licensed or registered services, and the music that plays often will have a unique identifier. The same is often true for podcasts, uh, which can generate revenue or often on registered platforms and may also feature an identifier. As I mentioned, there isn't much guidance in terms of how the CRTC should interpret these regulations. So whether all of these standards have to appear and what percentage or how they should appear. And so even a podcast like my own, which is non-commercial, doesn't have any sponsorship or no fees associated with it, could still in theory be captured by this. Someone might try to make the case there are some indirect benefits that can come, or this is part of uh, my own work at the University of Ottawa. They can focus on the fact that it is available on many different platforms, some of which will be either licensed or registered with the CRTC. And there may be identifiers that come into play for some of these podcasts as well. So if the approach is to capture all of this kind of content, what can the CRTC do from a regulatory perspective? The two major powers, both of which are holdovers from the former Bill C-10, are to require platforms to make contributions that are still to be determined. They're likely financial payments, although we don't know precisely what the CRTC would do. So that's a focus on the platforms themselves, as well as enhance the discoverability of Canadian content, enhance the discoverability of the content that is captured here. On the discoverability front, the CRTC is told that it should ensure that, I'll quote, that orders are consistent with freedom of expression enjoyed by users of social media, and it should not make an order that, again, and I'll quote, that would require the use of a specific computer algorithm or source code. But left open to the CRTC is the ability to require platforms to prioritize some content over others whether that's a particular podcast, music genre, or video content. Similarly, the commission won't be able to tell a platform specifically how to adjust its algorithm, but in some ways that may ultimately be a distinction without a difference, since it can issue orders on the end result as it's presented to subscribers. Now, views on the scope of this regulatory approach may vary, but I think it is undeniable that first, Regulating content uploaded to social media services is still a real possibility, specifically through the discoverability requirements. Secondly, that the regulations themselves extend far beyond just music on YouTube. And third, that the CRTC is left more powerful than ever with respect to internet regulation. Now that's the, the core issue with respect to 
social media and user-generated content. But I think the concerns with the bill extend beyond just how the government has sought to deal specifically with that issue. I thought I would deal specifically with five issues that I think people ought to be paying attention to or thinking about as this bill slowly makes its way through the legislative process. The first, and this is this goes to the heart of the approach that Bill C-11, much like Bill C-10, takes, is that everything is treated as a program subject to potential regulation. You know, as I've just discussed, there is an attempt to scale that back, to exclude from the ambit of regulation certain kinds of content. But I think we should be taking a further step back and asking whether it's the right approach when it comes to this form of speech. And we're now talking about an incredibly broad array of speech, as I've said, everything from postings to social media to podcasts and many other forms of speech. The notion that we would adopt legislation that tries to treat all of that within the context of broadcasting, to say that it is all a program subject to CRTC regulation unless the government or the CRTC decides otherwise, I think is exceptionally problematic. Now, the government has tried to provide assurances that it will exclude the kinds of content that, that many will say shouldn't be regulated right now. Some of that's in the legislation. Some of it is not in the legislation right now at all, but they, at least in one stakeholder call that I participated in, suggested that it would be forthcoming in a policy direction. That's basically the same playbook that the government used under Bill C-10, which was to leave a fair amount of stuff uncertain in the bill and say that at least some of it would be clarified in a policy direction that would be provided to the CRTC. So CRTC would have flexibility, but the government would make it clear uh, what some of its intentions are with respect to what would be included or not included. For instance, video games was part of a proposed or draft policy direction the last time. So the government's saying, we're not interested in treating video games in this context. There's been no talk of video games this time around. It's unquestionably captured on its face by this legislation, but the expectation is that the government will again provide a policy directive to say, we want video games out. Now, they could say the same thing for a number of other areas as well. For example, they've tried to suggest that they really don't want to target user-generated content or at least non-commercial user-generated content, distinguishing between what they're describing as amateur and professional content. But I think oftentimes that's a very difficult uh, distinction to make. Regardless, they could try to put that in a policy direction as well. I think that raises some real concerns. First, I mean, tells us that Bill C-11 isn't the whole story once again. Parliamentarians and Canadians are effectively left to assess and debate half a bill. And the rest of the bill is in the form of this policy direction that may be forthcoming. Perhaps they will provide it in advance as they did under some amount of pressure last time, or perhaps they will simply say, we're not going to provide anything until after the bill is actually passed. But even more, I think there's a fundamental principle here, this principle that the government does not, as a default, regulate all speech in this way as a program under broadcasting rules. There are, of course, all sorts of rules that apply to all forms of speech, defamation rules and hate speech. But that's not this. This is in the context of broadcasting and flipping our traditional approach, which is to say we've got freedom of expression. It's not 
the default that it is subject to regulation as a program. It's only the exception that get caught within the legislative framework is, I think, the right way to go from a freedom of expression perspective. But yet the government is proposing within Bill C-11 as a starting point that quite literally any audiovisual content by any individual is a program and they will gradually establish exceptions that might exclude some of that from regulation. I don't think that is the right place to start. Similarly, not only are, is all that audiovisual content subject to potential regulation unless the government exempts it, so too are practically any audiovisual services anywhere in the world. As I hinted at earlier in the podcast, the jurisdictional scope of this legislation is, is frankly mind-boggling. Listeners may recall a, an internal government memo as part of Bill C-10 that identified a wide range of targets for that bill. That memo from the government itself, from heritage officials, noted that the bill could cover podcast apps such as Stitcher and Pocket Casts, audio book services such as Audible, home workout apps, suppose like Peloton, adult websites, sports streaming services such as MLB.tv and DAZN, niche video services such as BritBox, and even news sites that involve streaming such as the BBC and CPAC. The potential scope for regulation is virtually limitless since any audiovisual service anywhere with Canadian subscribers or Canadian users is caught by the rules. Now, this bill, Bill C-11, maintains the same approach as the last one in which there are no specific thresholds or guidance. The entire audiovisual world is fair game. And in this instance, it will be up to the CRTC to decide whether to exempt some services from regulation. Now, everyone seems to expect that the CRTC will do that. They'll say that there are certain kinds of these services that don't advance the broader Broadcasting Act policy objectives, and so we will exempt them from regulation. But much like the approach of saying we are going to regulate all audiovisual speech as a program uh, and then exempt some of it, we're doing precisely the same thing with all of these various services, wherever they may be. We're saying that all of them are subject to Canadian jurisdiction, and it will be up to our regulator to make a decision as to what the thresholds might be or what services might be exempt. And they may, of course, decide that certain aspects of these rules are exempted, but others are not. So, for example, they might say that any service anywhere in the world with any Canadian-based users or subscribers, even if we're talking about nothing more than workout apps or a small podcast provider must register with the CRTC, uh, but they won't be required to pay into a certain fund. So we will limit some of their obligations, but we still want to know that they are still subject to our rules at a minimum based on registration. I think that's an incredibly aggressive approach from a Canadian perspective. It's, it goes far beyond, I think, what the, the real intent, at least as the government says, is within that legislation. And the likely outcome of it is that many services may ultimately decide to actively block Canadian users because they take the position that, no, Canada doesn't have jurisdiction over me, even for something like registration. And so if the Canadian broadcasting rules are such that having Canadian users means that I'm now subject to a Canadian broadcast system, I'm going to simply ensure that I don't have any Canadian users. 
And that results, or that would result, of course, in far less competition and choice for Canadians. It's access to less content. And I'd be concerned as well about what the reciprocity of some of that might mean for some of Canada's own creators if we start to see other countries adopt or, in effect, retaliate against that kind of regulatory overreach. Now, the third source, I think, of concern associated with this bill is just the exceptional amount of uncertainty associated with how all of this plays out. The bill tries to include some criteria for key definitions, such as user-generated content or what constitutes a Canadian creator, but ultimately there is still no easy way to identify Canadian creators, particularly when it comes to user-generated content, podcasts, or other kinds of similar content. The platforms don't actively ask Where are you coming from? And are you part of the so-called Canadian system? If you're a Canadian that is living in the United States, let's say you're a successful YouTuber or TikToker, you've moved to Los Angeles. Are you still Canadian for the purposes of the kinds of rules that the CRTC establishes? If you, if you're a podcast that's got a, that involves a series of different people and they're in different jurisdictions, does that make you Canadian? Is it citizenship that makes you Canadian content? It's something that by and large, large platforms around this kind of content simply doesn't take account of. By and large, these large services don't take account of these kinds of things. They don't ask that information, and we don't have any obvious definitions for it. In fact, there are many key issues in the bill that aren't defined at all. For example, social media is widely used in the bill and isn't defined. And so when you take all of that and you take a forthcoming policy direction that we don't have any information on, you take a a CRTC that is granted a large amount of power, but yet we don't precisely know how it will interpret some of these kinds of rules. I think what you're left with are a lot of questions about how companies will comply, how users will be identified, and even what kind of benefits will accrue out of this, given that it is going to take years for the CRTC to determine many of the requirements And many of those may in turn be subject to litigation. And so when we have an expectation in many instances that legislation will actually provide greater clarity about some of the rules, I think there is a strong case to be made that Bill C-11 does the opposite. The fourth element here that I think deserves greater attention is just the enormous amount of power that now resides in the CRTC. It shouldn't be lost on anyone that in the same week that the bill was introduced, there was also an application brought before the CRTC calling on the current CRTC chair, Ian Scott, to recuse himself from cases involving some telecom issues between large telecom companies and some of the independents. Now, that stems from a private meeting at a bar that the chair had with the CEO of Bell. But I think many are concerned about, at a minimum, the optics of a CRTC chair having private meetings with the very company, in this case, the largest company that the regulator itself regulates. Now, those kinds of concerns have been in place for a long time, and I think in some ways they are exacerbated by Bill C-11. Concerns around regulatory capture, which is our, in some ways are highlighted by this application of recusal, have swirled around the CRTC for some time with talks about a revolving door between the industry and the commission itself. Now, even if you have full faith in the various commissioners, we see regular change. In fact, it's not clear that 
Ian Scott will even be the chair once it comes time to deal with these various issues. But whether or not the CRTC enjoys public confidence to deal with these kinds of issues, I think, is at, a, at best an open question. Indeed, the CRTC in recent years has become increasingly, I think it's fair to say, anti-consumer. After a number of years of adopting an approach where consumers were said to be at the center of the communication system and policies flowed out from that, we've seen what I think is fair to characterize as a pretty significant reversal. Even more, I suppose, with respect to something like Bill C-11, there simply isn't any experience at the CRTC in dealing with some of these issues. Now, I think it's fair to say that someone needs to make those decisions, and perhaps that is the CRTC. But given where the CRTC is right now, I'm not convinced that it is this CRTC, and certainly not in, in a manner in which Parliament cedes much of the heavy lifting to the Commission, which invites years of hearings and litigation, and also reserves the right for Cabinet to step in and overrule in some contexts. And so we in some ways get the worst of both worlds. Now, finally, there is, I think, the whole rationale behind the bill itself. There is general agreement that updating the Broadcasting Act is a good idea. And I think there are many that, that are at this stage are on board with the view that large companies like Netflix and others should be included within the regulatory system, although there will be a diversity of views as to how best to achieve that. But I think when you start with legislation, what you also have to start with is what is the current state of the industry itself? What's the current state of the sector? And is it crying out for these kinds of changes? We've seen the minister, for example, talk about the economic benefits that will come from this legislation. We've seen references to the cultural benefits that from many stakeholders that will come from this legislation. But I'd argue that many of those claims don't stand up to even mild scrutiny from an economic perspective. If the argument is this is going to create new jobs, and that's certainly an argument that we saw being made by the, by the minister, the reality is that the film and television production sector in Canada has never seen more investment in it than it's seen right now where the amount of money that is being spent has set year after year new records. Now, much of that goes towards what is called foreign location service production. In other words, Canada is the home to the film and television production activity, but it's not necessarily certified Canadian content. Yet if the argument is an economic one, one about trying to ensure that there is film and television production jobs and economic activity in Canada, there isn't a strong case to be made that legislative changes are needed. In fact, it is readily apparent that Canada has a major success story when it comes to film and TV production right now, and that, if anything, there has been so much success that it has become challenging to get sound stages and personnel because there's just so much of that activity taking place. And everyone acknowledges that much of that is being driven by foreign investment from some of the large streaming services. So I recognize many will then flip the argument and say, well, it isn't so much about the economic side, but it is more about the cultural side. We want to ensure that there are Canadian stories being told and Canadians have access to their culture. We don't want to just be a place where great film and TV is made, but Canada is made to appear as New York or Los Angeles or some other place. And there's little connection of the stories that, these film, that the film and TV production tell to Canada. And yet the problem with that argument is that the system we have for identifying what is Canadian 
is simply decades out of date and simply doesn't meet that objective of telling Canadian stories. I noted the press release that came from the Writers Guild in response to Bill C-11, and it referenced the idea that incumbent within Canadian culture was that it would be Canadian storytellers, Canadian writers. But yet the reality is that our current system doesn't include all Canadian writers. That group was referring specifically to Canadian screenwriters. And so if you take a story that originates in the United States or in France uh, or in Japan, and it's a Canadian screenwriter that adapts it for a film and TV production, well, that counts towards the potential certification as Canadian content. But if you take a Canadian story, one written by Margaret Atwood or Jan Martel or Senator David Adams Richards, who was a vocal critic of the last bill, and you use a non-Canadian to develop the screenplay. The screenwriter is not Canadian, even if the underlying story is itself based on something written by a Canadian, that doesn't count for the purposes of Canadian certification. The underlying work, if it's based on a Canadian novel, is treated as irrelevant. That doesn't even get us into questions that come up with the many co-production agreements that Canada has with other countries where there can be a fraction of Canadian participation and content in a production, and yet it is treated as Canadian by virtue of a co-production deal. And then there's, of course, the ownership side, where companies like Netflix are often said not to invest in certified Canadian content, but in part that's because they can't. When the rules require ownership or production that is Canadian-based, even where you get a company like a Netflix that will produce a Quebec-based film like Juste Déclin, uh, which involved, which was filmed in Quebec, which involved a Quebec cast, Quebec director, Quebec story, it's still not certified Canadian content. And the same would be true for adaptations of things like Trailer Park Boys or Kids in the Hall by some of the other platforms as well. None of those count as Canadian for these purposes. Now, none of this is to say that we shouldn't be supporting Canadian stories. We absolutely should. But I think there's a strong case to be made that the starting point for doing that is ensuring that we've got a policy that does that. And at the moment, we don't. Think of this as we expand through C11 into commercial user-generated content, digital-first creators and others, for which there are no definitions of what counts as Canadian or not. But yet we've got the government arguing that this is ultimately about supporting those Canadian stories. So I think there's still much to debate, and I think still much to fix when it comes to this legislation. As I argued in the conclusion of a post on this bill, there was an opportunity to use the reintroduction of the bill to fully exclude user-generated content, to limit the scope of the bill to a manageable size, and to create more certainty and guidance for the CRTC. Instead, I fear that the government has left the prospect of treating internet content as programs subject to regulation in place. It's envisioning the entire globe as subject to Canadian broadcast jurisdiction. It's increased the power of the regulator, and it's done little to answer some of the previously unanswered questions, particularly, as I've just mentioned, around what it counts to be Canadian within the context of a bill designed to help support Canadian stories. Bill C-11 at this stage still just isn't ready for prime time, and it still requires extensive review and further reform to get it right. 
That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at lawbitespod or Michael Geist at mgeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening and see you next time.